Hello, and welcome to episode 176 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Professor Jason Sorens, Chairman of the Board at the Free State Project and lecturer in the Department of Government at Dartmouth College. Professor Sorens, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. The first question I'd like to pose to you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Yeah, well, uh, so I, as a graduate student, I started uh, something called the Free State Project. And what we're doing is trying to get people who believe in um, individual rights, limited government, social tolerance, to move to a single state of the U.S. and get active for better public policies. Uh, and so far, about 2,000 people have moved to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. Uh, we chose New Hampshire through a vote of the uh, first 5,000 to sign up. And uh, we have 20,000 now signed up who've agreed to move to New Hampshire. So 5,000, so 20,000 individuals have signed up to move and about 10% of that total amount of people have already moved. That's right. And we're trying to get the remaining 18,000 over the next four years. Uh, and we'll see how far we get. Um, but the more people come, uh, the more activists there are, and the more progress we'll see on the kinds of policies that, uh, that we favor. So is the idea that the individuals will move to New Hampshire and then – uh, will vote, and therefore you will get represent, greater representation in the state legislature, and you can make one state legislature at least a little bit more in line with your ideology. Is that the concept? Well, it's really much broader than that. The idea is that when you move to New Hampshire, you'll not just be voting, and you, maybe you won't even be voting, but you'll be part of a broad community that um, is – working on a bunch of different levels to try to create alternatives to uh, to the state for uh, for things like everything from welfare to education uh, to social services. And so you could get involved in education. You could get involved in, um, you know, we've got people involved in homeschool co-ops. We've got people involved in scholarship organizations that give tuition um, payments that pay for tuition for for kids to, um, you know, seek educational options outside the public school system. Uh, we have people who, um, who teach. Uh, I started a, an after-school program in moral philosophy and economics for high school students. Hmm. Uh, or you could get involved in media. So we've got people who are doing radio shows and podcasts and um, writing op-eds. Uh, we've got people who are involved in politics who are um, – some of them run for office, and we have about 20 uh, free staters who've moved to New Hampshire who are uh, elected to the state house. But we also have people who just keep tabs on the legislature. They, um, they will rate bills according to their liberty impact, and they will go and testify on bills that have a, a significant liberty impact to try to get the legislature to see um, you know, how, how the, the bills and laws that they're proposing can affect people's freedom. So what year did you start this organization? I started it uh, with an essay I wrote in 2001. 
And um, since that time, so so it's 16 years have transpired, and in these 16 years, um, I guess for our listeners, just by way of background, it will be worthwhile to note that there are 400 members of the New Hampshire State Legislature, which is significantly larger than any other state legislature in the nation. And nonetheless, though, having started 16 years ago, you have now led, um, let's see, 20 individuals from the Free State Project to elected office as part of that legislature with the, I guess, the slogan, Liberty in Our Lifetime. Um, and, and originally you had one, and then you got up to 11 in, in 2012, 14, I think, in 2010. That's a significant number of legislators. Is it, I guess, a uh, is it a growing movement? Is it, is it a caucus? Does it have uh, power in the state legislature? It's, it's pretty impressive that you were able to get a number of individuals elected to the state legislature. It is growing, and, you know, we uh, we had a long period after we chose New Hampshire where we weren't really in the news, and, you know, a few people started to move to New Hampshire, but it was very small. And so most of our growth has come in the last three or four years in terms of people mm-hmm. moving to the state, um, but also people getting elected, or maybe maybe you might say five or six years. And mm-hmm. uh, what's important to note is that while there are about 20 free staters who are elected members of the state house right now, there's a mm-hmm. much larger caucus of legislators who are libertarian or classical liberal or however you want to, to label them who believe in both free markets and social toleration. And uh, that would that caucus would number about 60 to 70 legislators. So now we're talking um, around 15% of the state house right now. And that's had a big impact on policy. Uh, for instance, for the first time in several decades, the state house was not able to uh, pass a budget a couple of weeks ago. One of the mm-hmm. reasons for that was that the um, the Speaker of the House, uh, a Republican, uh, proposed a budget that um, increased spending significantly, and he was trying to to work with Democrats to get it passed. But enough enough Republicans voted against it to um, to cause it to go down. So there's there's definitely a a group of um, state reps who are trying to stand on principle here for mm-hmm. limited government, and that is having an impact on uh, on the state. So when when you look at the uh, Free State Project website, it's described as, as um, uh, and I guess, a, a, an organization that supports the philosophy uh, that facilitates the pursuit of dignity and happiness and prosperity, a lot of different, um, I guess, intellectual uh, concepts. Are there, uh, you've mentioned individual rights, limited government, and social toleration. What is it about the libertarian philosophy that is appealing to you? And would you mind speaking to our listeners about how um, you evolved to become a libertarian unless you were raised in such a household? But how is it that you are able to uh, – why is it that these concepts are so important to you that you would begin to create an organization as you've done? Yeah. Well, I, I grew up in a conservative household and then uh, started to move toward uh, toward libertarianism as a high school student, although I didn't label myself uh, that way. Um, but it's just through through my reading, uh, largely in conversations with people, and you know, the the libertarian way of looking at government and public policy is radically different from the conservative and progressive ways of looking at it. Um, 
for most people, the vast majority of people, when they think about whether government ought to do something, they think about whether that is a thing worth doing. And mm-hmm. they say, well, if I, if I like this thing happening, then government ought to do it, clearly. Um, libertarians take a much different approach to this, and, and we say, well, there are lots of valuable uh, ends, lots of valuable objectives you want to achieve, but there mm-hmm. are also appropriate means to those ends, and the ends don't justify the means, and Sometimes uh, using government, um, it, it will require coercing people, require using physical force against them, potentially putting them in prison. So, for instance, if we don't like drugs, uh, we think, you know, um, even competent adults, uh, it's probably unwise for them to experiment in at least some of the harder drugs. Mm-hmm. And we'd encourage people not to do that. But we would oppose uh, a law to punish people who do that because uh, that would be using essentially violence against them. And we believe that um, the people in government essentially have the same rights as everyone else. We, we actually take the idea of equal rights seriously. So if I don't have a right to go into my neighbor's house and drag him out at the point of a gun and put him in a cage for something – then I don't think that um, that government officials have that right either. Uh, so would it be theories? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds. I just want to well, interject there. It, it sounds as though what you're saying is, um, instead of in, what, if there's a policy that you do not like, for instance, as the example using hard drugs, what you would advocate for as a libertarian is you would work as a community to discourage the use of those hard drugs as opposed to using a, a law made by a, perhaps state legislature to punish individuals who do that. So it sounds like you're shifting, um, making a shift, supporting a shift from government responsibility to um, non-government civic responsibility in the community as a means of uh, relegating what a community ought and ought not to do. Does that sound like a fair assessment of some of the philosophies that you're uh, supporting? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so if you're trying to protect someone's rights, you know, that's a different matter. So mm-hmm. I can use force to defend myself or defend someone else who's being attacked. In the same way, government, um, we think, can use force to punish actual criminals who are committing violence against others. But when it comes to nonviolent acts that we want to encourage or discourage uh, that sh- really should be up to communities. It should be up to, to people to use um, moral suasion, uh, nonviolent methods to, to get people to change their behavior rather than crime. So would it be fair to say that it's possible that you as an individual may support certain ideas espoused by, for instance, somebody who may be on a far different part of the political spectrum, let's say the far left, since you're from New Hampshire, next door is Vermont, let's just say some policies that Bernie Sanders um, may have said when in his campaign for president may have resonated for you, but the difference being that you didn't think government ought to do it. So for instance, let's take an example, free free universal higher education. You may think that higher education is important for Americans and that if a community thinks it's important, they may 
be encouraged to work together to cooperate to create a scholarship fund for our students to go to higher education. So you may agree with the concept and principle, but you just think it's something that the community should do on its own as opposed to a top-down federal policy across the nation. Is that fair? That is. Uh, that, that's correct. And we would point to the fact that government spending is funded in all cases ultimately by taxation, and taxation does require you know, a threat of force against people. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't, most of us wouldn't think it's okay to mug someone to pay for free college for someone. Um, mm -hmm. And so we would, you know, apply that same standard to, to government. Um, and that doesn't mean, of course, as you said, that we don't share the, those ends, those objectives of more affordable education, more affordable health care. Uh, and mm -hmm. we have policy solutions to help achieve those things. Um, but we also, ultimately, what, what really makes libertarianism distinctive is an insistence on using the appropriate means to the ends that you value. Hmm. An appropriate means. So the ends do not justify the means for libertarians, but the means must be appropriate in order to achieve a just end. That's right. And we wouldn't say that the means justify the ends either, right? So we wouldn't say that whatever a market creates is good, right? Mm -hmm. um, that would be an, another kind of fallacy. Uh, and sometimes maybe libertarians are accused of that, but actually um, intelligent libertarians, I think, or informed libertarians would not make that mistake. We can recognize that markets fail, that uh, people make mistakes, mm -hmm. and then uh, we need to try to correct, correct those. So would you identify with uh, the somewhat recent political phenomena of the Tea Party? Or is that not a uh, similar concept to the Free State Project? Well, is the Tea the Party libertarian? Party, yeah, it's a good question. I think maybe when the Tea Party first started, it mm -hmm. had a strong libertarian streak. I don't think it was ever mm -hmm. purely libertarian, but it was. Mm -hmm. uh, I was focused on kind of economic freedom issues, and I think they tried at least at the beginning mm -hmm. to put the social issues to one side, and that helps maybe bridge the gap between libertarians and economic conservatives. Mm -hmm. Over time, the Tea Party became much more just a standard conservative movement, and I think that tended to alienate libertarians. Uh, nowadays, you know, to be Tea Party seems to be, you know, associated with supporting Trump and banning immigration and things like that that libertarians would disagree with. So would you, to what extent would you identify as liberal or conservative, or would you not identify on that spectrum at all? Is that a, is that a false dichotomy? Is it a false political spectrum, or, is that, or would you fit somewhere on the liberal conservative spectrum? Yeah, I would, I would say it's definitely a false dichotomy. Mm -hmm. um, most libertarians, I think, would conceive of ourselves, if you had to force us to be on that spectrum, we'd say we're in the center, but really we're just this sort of third alternative. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, back in the 19th century, libertarians used to be called liberals, right? So people like John Stuart Mill, uh, John Locke, mm -hmm. uh, Herbert Spencer, some of the great thinkers of liberalism were pretty much what we would now call libertarians. Um, but that term changed in meaning between about 1880 and 1920, at least in the United States. And we started calling um, 
sort of what Europeans would call social democrats. We started calling social mm-hmm. democrats liberals, and we didn't have a term for libertarians anymore. And that's where the you know, libertarians started to come up with this this term, this new term, libertarian, to describe themselves. Um, but we would conceive of the, the the political spectrum from our from our perspective is really a kind of libertarian authoritarian dimension, and we're at the the libertarian end of that dimension. So, you are also a professor at Dartmouth College. And I wonder if there's any sort of pressure to have academic impartiality in the classroom. And if so, to what extent your involvement uh, very publicly as the chairman of the board of the Free State, Free State Project, if, if that has any implications in the classroom for you at Dartmouth? I would say uh, my experience both at Dartmouth and at other institutions has been that um, as a professor, you have a great deal of autonomy in the classroom, and your your curriculum isn't controlled, your syllabus isn't controlled, and the way you teach your class isn't controlled. Uh, what they want to see at the end of the day, though, is that you are um, you're not engaging in too much grade inflation, uh, and you're ed- educating your students. They're learning something. Uh, your evaluations are at least satisfactory, and your enrollments are good. Right? Those are the things that um, that administration cares about in higher education. So there's much more autonomy as a as a as a teacher in a college than you would have as a teacher in a, in a high school. Um, and so I've never had any pressure to lean one way or another, or not have a political lean in the classroom. Now, as it happens, I, I don't like to talk about my own political views in the classroom because I think that interferes with with education. I think it, um, it's inevitably going to cause some students to trust you less and maybe some to trust you more, but it kind of introduces this um, this kind of alien dimension into what should be an open conversation about ideas. But I, I did uh, teach a class for the first time recently on libertarianism, and of mm-hmm. course, students coming in there knew that I was pretty sympathetic to, to libertarianism. But what I think they got out of that class, and we, we discussed critics of libertarianism as well as defenders, um, I think what we got out of that class, though, is that there are many different ways you can you can get to, to libertarianism, and there are many different ways you can critique it. And what really matters is focusing on good arguments, not necessarily on the conclusions you reach, right? The conclusions you reach shouldn't determine the arguments you use. It should be the other way around. Uh, and that's, mm-hmm. that's really what I'm trying to get students to, to understand is whatever your views are, try to justify them. Try to put them to the test. So as we approach the end of this podcast, I'd like to ask you a final question. Um, and suppose that you are speaking to uh, a class of students um, at Dartmouth and of course, within the context of your free state project, you've accomplished a lot to convince one person to pick up and move to another state uh, is an enormous accomplishment that changed jobs, changed community, changed friends. But to convince 2000 people to move over the course of the last five to six years is an incredible accomplishment. I'd like to ask you to speak to your students um, about why it's important to be involved in your community, why you've been, it, cr- tried to create a, a broad, inclusive community 
of individuals who are sympathetic to your libertarian political philosophy and, uh, you know, why, I guess, what you hope your involvement in this project um, will result in, why it's important for you to try to advance the public interest by creating these communities. And at the end of the day, uh, at the end of your career, what you hope you will have accomplished um, through your efforts to advance the public interest in this way. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a great question. I I you know I've I've always been the sort of person who wants to to make a difference uh, to provide public goods right for the communities that I'm a part of. Um, I want to feel like a contributor, not someone who's kind of free riding on the efforts of other people. And there's something exciting about that. And there's something very fulfilling about seeing yourself mm-hmm. as someone who's helping build something that that lots of people can enjoy. And that's what we found with the Free State Project. It really is a collective effort. There's nothing in here that you – know, my, my contribution to it is this, is this very slender share of it because it's an idea that got a lot of people excited and they've taken it in lots of different directions. So the other, so the other thing I would say is, yes, be active, be a contributor, see yourself as a net – you know, as someone who's on net, you know, contributing something positive to the, the groups you're a part of, to your local – community, um, but also be flexible and be willing to, uh, you know, don't don't take um, so much ownership of your ideas that you're not willing to let other people go in, in new directions with them. Uh, you know, that's, that's ultimately what ends up making the biggest difference because, you know, the, the power of, um, of cooperation is so much greater than the power of just one individual doing something on his own. Um, and we can achieve so much more when we're working together and bringing, to, bringing together lots of different ideas than, uh, than when we're just trying to um, do it my way or the highway. And that has been Professor Jason Sorens, Chairman of the Board at the Free State Project and Lecturer at the Department of Government at Dartmouth College, who speaks about libertarianism as a philosophy that fundamentally seeks a shift from having government, whether it be the state, federal, local local government, be the primary arbiter of what is right, what is wrong, what we can and what we cannot do, whether we have a social safety net or not, and shift it from government responsibility back into the community to a sense of civic responsibility. He has uh, involved 20,000 individuals, 2,000 of whom is convinced to pick up and leave their homes to move to New Hampshire to become part of a community that he has been creating um, in which dignity, happiness, prosperity are all possible within this paradigm that he promotes individual rights and limited government and social toleration. He speaks of uh, government uh, control of certain policies as always having an implied or or often having an implied threat of force and speaks uh, using the analogy that uh, to tax the public in order to provide free higher education is akin to mugging someone for free college. He speaks philosophically about how means do not justify an end, nor does an end justify the means, that an appropriate means for a just end is what any community ought to pursue. And that as an individual, he has often tried to be a positive contributor, uh, giving more than he has taken and helping build 
what many others can enjoy. He speaks of the greater good that can come from cooperation through collective effort um, on a community-based level instead of as a more distant uh, federal or, or even state level. Um, and, and yet he has uh, left an impact on the state legislature in New Hampshire having uh, contributed to what is now a 60 to 70 person libertarian caucus um, that really does have some sway on the policies affecting uh, New Hampshire's uh, citizens uh, in the free state. So ultimately, Professor Soren speaks about advancing the public interest by building communities, promoting civic responsibility, and trying to leave the world better for uh, everyone else and better than he found it. So Professor Soren, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Jordan, it was my pleasure. And this has been episode 176 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe at publicinterestpodcast.com. Listen on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And should you have a comment uh, in regards to this conversation with Professor Sorens, you're welcome to leave Public Interest Podcast an up to three-minute voicemail at 240 Six three zero zero three eight zero, and that message could be posted on the website. Should you wish to support Public Interest Podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in the amount that you feel comfortable with on publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.